The reading is taken from Judges chapter 9, verses 1 to 21, which is on page 251 of the Church Bibles. Abimelech, son of Jerobal, went to his mother's brothers in Shechem and said to them and to all his mother's clan, Ask all the citizens of Shechem, which is better for you, to have all 70 of Jerobal's sons rule over you, or just one man? Remember, I am your flesh and blood. When the brothers repeated all this to the citizens of Shechem, they were inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, he is related to us. They gave him 70 shekels of silver from the temple of Baalbereth, and Abimelech used it to hire reckless scoundrels who became his followers. He went to his father's home in Ophrah, and on one stone murdered his 70 brothers, the sons of Jerob Baal. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jerob Baal, escaped by hiding. Then all the citizens of Shechem and Beth Milo gathered beside the great tree at the pillar in Shechem to crown Abimelech king. When Jotham was told about this, he climbed up on top of Mount Gerizim and shouted to them, Listen to me, citizens of Shechem, so that God may listen to you. One day, the trees went out to anoint a king for themselves. They said to the olive tree, Be our king. But the olive tree answered, Should I give up my oil by which both gods and humans are honoured to hold sway over the trees? Next, the tree said to the fig tree, Come and be our king. But the fig tree replied, should I give up my fruit, so good and sweet, to hold sway over the trees? Then the tree said to the vine, Come and be our king. But the vine answered, Should I give up my wine, which cheers both gods and humans, to hold sway over the trees? Finally, all the trees said to the thorn bush, Come and be our king. The thorn bush said to the trees, If you really want to anoint me king over you, come and take refuge in my shade. But if not, then let fire come out of the thorn bush and consume the cedars of Lebanon. Have you acted honourably and in good faith by making Abimelech king? Have you been fair to Jerobal and his family? Have you treated him as he deserves? Remember that my father fought for you and risked his life to rescue you from the hand of Midian. But today you have revolted against my father's family. You have murdered his 70 sons on a single stone and have made Abimelech, the son of his female slave, king over the citizens of Shechem, because he is related to you. 
So have you acted honourably and in good faith toward Jeroboam and his family today? If you have, may Abimelech be your joy and may you be his too. But if you have not, let fire come out from Abimelech and consume you, the citizens of Shechem and Beth Milo, and let fire come out from you, the citizens of Shechem and Beth Milo, and consume Abimelech. Then Jotham fled, escaping to Beer, and he lived there because he was afraid of his brother Abimelech. This is the word of the Lord. Please keep the passage open in front of you, as always. Please uh, uh, keep Judges 9 uh, there before you as we go through it. And we are going to go through the whole of the chapter, although I'll summarise some of it so that, uh, uh, yeah, we're not reading through uh, the the whole thing. Uh, But I'll summarise the the sort of second half. But thank you, Janet, for reading that for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, every bit of it. Thank you that you give it to us for a reason. Uh, You have a purpose behind every part of it, including Judges chapter 9. Father, thank you that you are a speaking God, that you teach us. And so we pray that you'd help us now humbly to be ready to listen, to learn, and to be changed by your word. Amen. What happens when the Lord is ignored? I wonder what difference you think it makes. What difference does it make whether you, in your family, ignore the Lord? What difference does it make if, to society if people ignore God? What difference does it make uh, to our country, to the world, if people ignore God? I think many assume, maybe you do too, that religion really is a bit like wearing hats. Some people wear hats, and it's lovely that they wear hats, but most people don't. Some people wear one type of hat, and some people wear another type. Some people wear hats because, well, it's nice for them, it gives them benefit, they stay warmer. Some people wear hats because it means they fit in with the group that they're with. But most don't wear hats. And in the end, it makes not the slightest bit of difference whether people wear hats or not to our society, to our country, to the world. Uh, Russia still is invading Ukraine, Covid is still around, and buildings are still being built near Tolworth Station. In the end, it makes no difference whether you're wearing hats or not. What about Christianity? What difference does it actually make whether we're Christians or not? Lots of us think it's a bit like hats. It doesn't really make a lot of difference. The Bible says it makes a huge difference. And Judges chapter 9 is an example of what happens, what can happen, when God is ignored. See the situation that we're in. 
uh, at the beginning of Judges chapter 9. Now, actually, to see the situation of the nation, you've got to look back a little bit further. You've got to go to the end of Judges chapter 8. So just turn back to page 251, and you'll see there what the situation of the nation is at this point. So Judges chapter 8, verses 33 to 35. It says there, no sooner had Gideon died, okay, so Gideon, sorry if you weren't here uh, the last few weeks, Gideon has been leading Israel and we've seen him the last few chapters leading Israel. He was God's chosen, appointed leader of Israel, but now he's died. So verse 33, no sooner had Gideon died than the Israelites again prostituted themselves to the Baals, that is false gods. They set up Baal Bereth as their God, and they did not remember the Lord their God, who had rescued them from the hands of all their enemies on every side. They also failed to show any loyalty to the family of Jeroboam, that is Gideon. So when you see Jeroboam, that's Gideon. In spite of all the good things he had done for them. So, what's the situation of the nation? They are ignoring the Lord. They are not remembering the Lord, which, as we've said before, doesn't mean that they've forgotten completely the name of the Lord. It means that they're not living with the truths about God as a day-to-day reality. They're not living with God as Lord over them. But they are forgetting him, not remembering him. Now, that is very significant, and it's very significant where, throughout the chapter 9, where most of the action is taking place. In chapter 9, most of the action is taking place in a place called Shechem. Now, if you know uh, the end of the previous book of the Bible, the end of the book of Joshua, you know something very significant happened at Shechem. At Shechem, Joshua said to the nation of Israel, will they follow the Lord wholeheartedly? He asked them that question. He laid out that challenge. Are you going to follow the Lord? And the people of Israel said, yes, we will follow the Lord. Joshua said, you'll never be able to do it. You won't manage it. And they said, yes, we will. We will serve the Lord. And we're back in Shechem and they have forgotten the Lord and they have built a temple to a false god, Baal Bereth, in Shechem. Do you see the significance of that? They have rejected God. And what we see in chapter 9 is what follows on from that, the difference that that makes. Now, they haven't just forgotten the Lord. We also see at the end of chapter 8 there, they uh, don't respect Gideon. And so what happens when the Lord is rejected, forgotten, and his chosen leader is also uh, ignored and dishonoured? It is not that life just goes on as normal. There is devastation, and it is a tragic chapter, chapter 9. And so we're going to focus on three characters through Judges chapter 9. And the first is going to be Abimelech. The Bramble King, Abimelech. Now, Abimelech was Gideon's son. Son of Gideon and his concubine, who lived in Shechem. And Abimelech, through this chapter, uh, through selfish ambition, 
becomes king, but he is not God's appointed king. God does not raise him up to be the leader. He gets it through his own selfish ambition. He is, well, actually the kind of where Gideon was leading, if you were here last week, um, John preached about Gideon, um, and you saw there that Gideon, he refused to be known as king. They asked him to be king of Israel, and he said no. But he behaved as king in lots of ways. So the, the two didn't quite match. Abimelech, however, behaves as king and wants to be king and wants to be known as king. He is ruthless in his determination to become king, and he is shrewd as well. So at the beginning of chapter 9, he goes to the citizens of Shechem, verse 2, and says, Which is better for you, to have all 70 of Jeroboam's sons rule over you, or just one man? Remember, I am your flesh and blood. He appeals to them, doesn't he, on the basis of what's going to be best for you? What's going to be best for you? Of course it's better for you that I am your king, Abimelech says. And the people go with it. Did they know what was going to happen next? Maybe. They give him money and he hires thugs who go with him uh, to gather. They round up his brothers, 70 brothers of his. And he kills those 70 brothers, verse 5, on one stone. It is a mass killing of his brothers to ensure that he will be king. And the people of Shechem decide, yep, this is the guy for us. And they decide to, uh, to crown him as king. And they have this ceremony that they set up to, uh, uh, to crown him. And as they are about to crown him, a voice comes from the nearby mountain. Jotham, Jotham, one remaining son of Gideon, one remaining brother of Abimelech calls out, verse 7, listen to me, citizens of Shechem, so that God may listen to you. Interesting, isn't it? It's not too late. They have rejected God. They've ignored God. But he's saying it's not too late. If you listen, God will listen to you. And then he tells them the story of the trees, the trees who want to crown a king. And he goes through three kinds of tree who were asked to be king uh, and each refuse, saying, why should I give up something useful to become king? So he approaches, uh, it's the fig and the vine and one other. Which one is it? Thank you, Olive. There you go. Yeah, yeah, sharp. Very good. Goes to each of them and they refuse. And some have taken this as a kind of satirical comment about kingship. That the only people who will become kings are those who have no value. They've got nothing else good to do. And therefore they become kings. I don't think that's quite what it's saying. Uh, the Bible is not anti-kingship in totality. It's not saying kingship overall is a terrible thing. After all, the Lord does appoint kings. So it's not against anti-kingship. And after all, Jesus is king, isn't he? So it's not anti-kingship. This story is anti-Abimelech as king. Because the last plant that is asked to be king is, we're doing call and response now, 
You joined in last time. What kind of plant is it? The thornbush is asked to be king. And the thornbush agrees. And what does it say about, uh, what does he say, this thornbush, verse 15? If you really want to anoint me king over you, come and take refuge in my shade. But if not, then let fire come out of the thornbush and consume the cedars of Lebanon. What's that saying? He's saying, come and, come and enjoy the shade. How many times have you enjoyed the shade of a thornbush? You don't, do you? It provides, no, it's not the bush that you want shade from. You get near it, it'll scratch you. Come and enjoy my shade. But if not, he says, let fire come out and consume the cedars of Lebanon. In other words, come and be loyal to me. And if you're not, I will destroy you. That's the story. That's what Jotham is saying Abimelech is like. That's what this kind of king will be like. Be loyal to him and he'll be okay with you. But if you're in any way not loyal, he will attack you. Now, just pause there. Do we see this kind of leadership? Do we see this kind of kingship around the world? Well, we do, don't we? International leaders can be like this. Putin can be like this. A bramble king who, uh, when there was that televised meeting of his security advisors, security leaders, they were terrified of him, that they might say the wrong thing. A bramble king. We do see it around, don't we? But we don't just see this kind of thing in international leaders. We see this kind of attitude in other people as well, don't we? The kind of people who will trample over others to get what they want who at work will uh, not care about others if it means they get what they want. Sadly, we see it in marriages as well, people going into it for what they can get out of it, and if they don't get what they want, then they will trample their spouse. It isn't just international leaders. This attitude can be in others. And frighteningly, it can be in the church as well. Sadly, in the church press, there's another church, and it seems like there have been many over recent years, that, uh, but another church that is being called upon to have an investigation into their church life with the accusations of the leaders presiding over a culture of fear, of a leadership that uses, has a use of power, a quote from, from the paper, a use of power and specifically domineering leadership, coercion and control. Sadly, the church is not immune from bramble leaders. After all, Abimelech came from within Israel. He was not a foreigner. In fact, throughout Judges chapter 9, what we're used to in the book of Judges is that um, the people reject God and a foreign nation comes in and oppresses God's people. But what we've got in Judges 9 is this is oppression that's... Wow. <laughs> this is oppression... Don't worry about it. Um, this is oppression that comes from within God's people. Yeah? In Judges chapter 9, all the oppression comes from within God's people. From Abimelech. We need to be wary that in the church there can be this kind of leadership too. Because the sidelining of God opens the possibility for bramble kings. 
So, the Bramble King. Second, who else do we see? Well, we see the disloyal people. We need to notice this story. Who's Jotham? Who's Jotham saying this story to? Have a look. Chapter 9, who's he saying the story to? Well, verse 16, you see very clearly he's talking to the people, isn't he? He's not actually addressing this to Abimelech at all. Verse 16, have you acted honorably and in good faith by making Abimelech king? Have you been fair to Jeroboam and his family? Have you treated him as he deserves? And then, and then Jotham, he goes off on a slight detour, doesn't he? He says, have you been honorable? Have you been honorable to Jeroboam? And then he goes off on a little detour. Verse, uh, verse 17, remember that my father fought for you and risked his life to rescue you from the hand of Midian. But today you have revolted against my father's family. You've murdered his seven sons on a single stone and have made Abimelech the son of his female slave king over the citizens of Shechem because he is related to you. So, back to my original question, have you acted honorably and in good faith towards Jeroboam and his family today? <laughs> the answer is clearly no, isn't it? No, this people have not acted honorably. They have been disloyal. The mystery, you see, is not quite so much why Abimelech would want to be king. Of course that kind of person would want to be king. The question is, why would the people want this Bramble King? Why would they put up with him? Why would they go along with him after he's murdered 70 of his brothers? And after the warning from Jotham that that is what this kind of king is like. If you're not loyal to him, he's going to have a go at you. It seems crazy, doesn't it? And yet history shows that we do have a tendency to want Bramble Kings. Why? Well, maybe to start with, it's because they do seem the best for us. It, I mean, it'll be better to have that person as king over us, wouldn't it, to rule us, to lead us, than anyone else. And after all, we want strong leaders, don't we? And his methods and his morals may be utterly questionable, but better to have him on your side than against you. We need, again, to recognise with the uncovering of abusive leadership in churches, the focus rightly has been on the pain and suffering of victims and on the leaders who've abused their positions. But a question needs to be asked, why is it that we appoint such leaders? And the conclusion is often that we have ignored God's instructions for who should be appointed as leaders. God has told us the kind of people that we should have, and often we ignore it. To our peril. Just as if you stand at the petrol pump uh, and decide that you're just going to go for the fuel that takes your fancy, or that's the cheapest, or that you like the colour of the sign of, you're going to end up in a disastrous situation. If we ignore God's instructions, the maker's instructions for how we are to run churches, for who we are to appoint as leaders, if we ignore it, it's going to go horribly wrong. He's told us the kind of people that we should have. In the New Testament, uh, it tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 3, let me take you there, don't need to turn it up, I'll just read it to you. What kind of person does God say should be in leadership in his church? 
Well, let me give you a few things that he says in 1 Timothy chapter 3. He says, the overseer must be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, and so on. Do you notice the kind of things it's talking about there? By and large, it's character, isn't it? What's not there? Must be a charismatic, dynamic leader. An awesome communicator. Those things aren't there. And yet often we say, that's the kind of leader we want. They must be young, they must be dynamic. And character flaws, oh well, they'll grow, they'll grow. They'll, they'll get over those. God says, don't ignore my instructions for who should be in leadership. Well, Jotham finishes his story and actually his, he ends it in a prophetic way. So in Judges chapter 9, verse 20 and 21, he finishes off by saying, um, he says, you know, if you've been loyal to Jeroboam's family, may Abimelech be your joy, verse 20. But if you've not, let fire come out from Abimelech and consume you, the citizens of Shechem and Beth Milo, and let fire come out from you, the citizens of Shechem and Beth Milo, and consume Abimelech. In other words, may you consume each other. And that is prophetic, and that is exactly what happens. And I'm just going to trace the way through. I'm not going to read it all out, but I'm just going to tell you the story of what happens in the rest of Judges chapter 9. After three years of Abimelech being king, the people are already fed up of him. So they set up ambushes to rob everyone who passes by. Abimelech, it seems, is not located in Shechem anymore. He seems to be elsewhere. So the people set up ambushes elsewhere, which means it shows that Abimelech is not being a great king if, if the place is not safe. So the people set up ambushes. And then along comes a chap called Gael or Gaal, verse 26. Gaal comes along and he's, it moves into Shechem with his clan. And they have a party, a drunken party. And at the end of it, he badmouths Abimelech. So verse 28, he says, he says, and you can imagine him at the end of the party, you know, after a lot of wine, he says this, Who is Abimelech? And why should we Shechemites be subject to him? Isn't he Jeroboam's son? And isn't Zebul his deputy? Serve the family of Hamor, Shechem's father. Why should we serve Abimelech? If only this people were under my command, then I would be rid of him. I would say to Abimelech, call out your whole army. You know, it's kind of, come on, bring it on kind of thing that he says at the end. Well, the people who've been dishonorable to Gideon by choosing Abimelech now like the look of Gael. So they go for him and say, yeah, yeah, we'll follow you. You sound good now. But Abimelech finds out about this finds out about what Gael has said and comes with his army and attacks Gael. Who's going to win? Abimelech wins, beats Gael. Gael is, is, uh, is defeated. The people of Shechem think, oh well, such is life, and go out the next day just to tend their fields. You know, life as normal. We'll keep going with our farming. Abimelech, though, is furious and sends his army out to destroy the people of Shechem. And he does. And it is a massacre. You see, fire is going out from Abimelech to the people of Shechem. 
Some of the people of Shechem go to the tower, the tower of Shechem, uh, and uh, lock themselves in there. Well, uh, Abimelech comes up with a plan to deal with them. Uh, And uh, so verse 46, if you cast your eyes over there, verse 46, that's where the citizens go into the stronghold of the temple of Elbereth. So they lock themselves in. Abimelech hears uh, and he gets his army to go out uh, to gather branches. They stack them around that, uh, uh, that stronghold and set it on fire. And the people inside are killed. Verse 49, end of verse 49. So all the people in the Tower of Shechem, about a thousand men and women, also died. So he destroys them. And then Abimelech, not content with just destroying Shechem, decides he's going to go on somewhere else as well. So he goes on to a place called Thebes or Thebes. Verse 50. He besieges it, captures it. And the people go to the tower again. And so Abimelech thinks, well, same plan. Let's burn that one down. But, verse 52, Abimelech went to the tower and attacked it. But as he approached the entrance to the tower to set it on fire, a woman dropped an upper millstone on his head and cracked his skull. Well, he doesn't want to be known as someone who was killed by a woman. So he tells his armour bearer, verse 54, to kill him, which he does. But the record is still that it's the woman who dropped the the millstone. So where do you end up at the end of the chapter? People of Shechem are killed. Abimelech is killed. Fire has gone out from one to the other, and they have killed each other. What's going on in this story? At the beginning and the end, we are told exactly what is going on from God's perspective. So at the beginning, verse 22, cast your eyes down to that. It says, after Abimelech had governed Israel for three years, God stirred up animosity between Abimelech and the citizens of Shechem, so that they acted treacherously against Abimelech. God did this in order that the crime against Jeroboam's 70 sons, the shedding of their blood, might be avenged on their brother Abimelech and on the citizens of Shechem, who had helped him murder his brothers. And then at the very end of the story, verse 56, cast your eyes over there, please. Thus God repaid the wickedness that Abimelech had done to his father by murdering his 70 brothers. God also made the people of Shechem pay for their wickedness. What's going on here? Well, excuse me, this is the last uh, of our people, God, last of the characters we're looking at. God gives them over to their sin. God is in charge of all of this. And yet do you notice how God judges? He doesn't send thunderbolts and lightning and that kind of thing he could he can but how does he bring judgment do you notice he uses their sinfulness he hands them over to their sinful hearts after all what does Abimelech want most of all power and he will trample over any to get it what are the people they're disloyal they'll go for whatever's best for them And so all God's got to do is to raise up Gael, to bring him into the situation. The people being disloyal go for him. Abimelech, desperate for power and will 
trample over any who will, who will get in his way, then destroy the people of, of Shechem. God uses their sinful hearts and hands them over in judgment. And we need to see actually that God does something similar today. The New Testament tells us in Romans chapter 1, it says, Romans chapter 1 verse 18, that the wrath of God is being revealed against the godlessness and wickedness of men. Why does God bring judgment? Why is God angry with people today? The same thing in Romans chapter 1, because people have replaced God, rejected God, put other things in God's place. And then what you see in the rest of Romans chapter 1, I'd encourage you to read it later on today. What you see is God, it says over and over again, he gives them over. He gives people over to their desires. That is part of God's wrath, God's judgment on people today. Such that by the time you get to the end of Romans chapter 1, what situation is, is society in? End of Romans chapter 1. Verse 29 to 31, it says, They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. God says, if you're going to replace me, I will hand you over to it, and that is the kind of society, that is the kind of culture that you will, uh, that you will reap. Do we see this in Judges chapter 9? Yes, we do. Do we see it in the world around us? Yes, we do. When we as mankind reject God, it isn't just life as normal, everything just carries on. It is that things go horribly wrong not in every single situation but overall you do see this and what's the solution well sadly you don't see the solution in judges chapter 9 it just descends but we do see the solution actually it's pretty clear isn't it even in judges 9 don't turn away from the lord don't reject the lord don't ignore him don't forget him remember him and come back to him now, maybe you think in your life, you think, I, I, I'm not sure I can come back to God. Maybe you've lived for so long ignoring him. Or maybe you feel you've been particularly bad. But don't forget, he is not a bramble king. God is not that kind of king. If we turn to him, he will receive us. Oh, if we stay away from God, if we reject him, we will face his wrath. But if we turn to him, humbly confessing our wrongdoing to him, we will find his forgiveness and his generous, loving welcome. Jesus says to us in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, this is his character. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the king who came not to be served like Abimelech, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So as we take communion, 
in a few minutes. Rejoice that our king is not the Bramble King, but the Shepherd King, who gave his life for his sheep and turned to him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we see in Judges 9 the horror of what happens when people turn from you. And we see that in the world around us as well. And we pray that you would help us. Help us watching this, listening to this. Help us in this country. Help us, Father, as humanity to turn back to you. And we praise you that you promise that those who turn to you will receive forgiveness because of the death of your son. That we might be washed clean and come back to you. Amen.